Hello, everybody. I'm Cody. And I'm Brent. And we are the Hugo Knots here to review with you the best sci fi novels of all time. This week, we're talking about The Handmaid's Tale by Margaret Atwood, which I'm very excited to talk about. One of my favorites. Sinister, dark, so good. Yeah, so well written. Um, and next week, don't forget to, uh, or two weeks from now, I should say, uh, don't forget to like, subscribe, download, follow, however you listen to us. Do not miss our episode on Andromeda's Strain by Michael Crichton. It's an it's an interesting one. It's a little, it's different than your typical like fair science thriller with a space virus. It was fun. Anyway, yeah, it's yeah, like, so like we'll fictional hot zone or something. Anyways. Um, also, we just want to say thank you to those of us who joined us uh, on Discord. It's fun chatting with some of you, and um, we'll be we'll be in and out to continue that. Yeah, join uh, link in the episode notes. So come join us. There's like 25 of us now talking books, so it's fun. Come come hang out. Yes, and we also have the website which we launched, um, hugonots.org, which is a great place to check out copy that we've written. You know, just the the book reviews or ratings, et cetera. If you want to check it out, uh, check out the show in that way, hugonots.org. Yeah, and also you can buy the books, uh, which please, please do really help support the show. Um, they don't cost you anything extra, but when you click buy, you know, buy a book, anything you select, you know, switch to paperback, switch to the Audible version, doesn't matter. Um, Amazon just gives us a small piece, which helps support the show financially. So we really, yeah. really, really appreciate that. All right, so with that, it is time to talk about Handmaid's Tale, The Handmaid's Tale by Margaret Atwood. Brent, what are we working yes, with here? okay. Published in 1985, it's uh, just over 300 pages, about 12 hours on audiobook, and it is uh, told, it's effectively the diary of uh, our narrator, a, a young woman, um, the eponymous handmaid, living in Gilead, which is a theocratic extremely repressive patriarchal society that has taken over the United States, basically. Um, and we sort of explore this world through her eyes as she moves through it and and also as she remembers what her life used to be like um, and, and the people she's lost and how this all happened as well. Um, and so, yeah, you get to sort of explore the, the depths of the evil of the society and then also move with her as she tries to find a way to express herself or escape, or just have anything in her life that she feels like she can control living in this in this society. Um, really wonderful book. So, yeah, what'd you think of it, Code? Yeah, I mean, this is just one of my favorite books of all time. I think this is the fourth time I've read it now, but I give it a five. I mean, I think it's just, it's a pillar of dystopian lit um, and speculative fiction in general. And I think it is timeless. It will never... It will never not be good because Atwood's understanding of human nature and character is just so unbelievably good. She's an excellent writer, and um, this is a good novel. Five out of five. Brent, how about you? <laughs> nice. Um, I'm going to give it a four out of five. I definitely think it's an unbelievably good book, incredible dystopia. Exploring the world is so interesting and fulfilling. Um the ending felt a little bit abrupt slash sort of like there wasn't an ending a little bit to me. Um, so that's the, that's the one thing holding it back in, in my mind. Um, but we'll talk more about that, particularly in the post spoiler section. So four out of five for me. For sure. 
what I think makes the novel so believable and good at at the core is that it's um, not it's not a tale of extremes, right? It's a tale. It's not a tale of the the narrator, um, our protagonist, being brave and a rebel and uh, winning against the odds. It's the tale of a person who's in a repressed system and doesn't have much power and tries to. Uh, use and find power in the corners and work against other people who are trying to do the same um, or with other people who are trying to do the same. It, it feels like a very realistic, um, almost more survival story within a within a theocratic autocracy like this. Um, and there's not as much, there's some, I guess, attempting to thrive, but within the constraints. Yeah, it's all about like, how would you, what would you do in this situation when everything is taken away from you? What it's, and it really tries to put you in the shoes of someone who's living in an extremely repressive society like this, of which, you know, unfortunately there's a bunch of, not, not, not examples just like this, but places like kind of like this, of course, in our world. And that's what a lot of these dystopian books are trying to warn us about and get us to feel. And uh, this is certainly one that does it well. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, and, and it also does, uh, does it like one of the methods um, Atwood employs is that she's using flashbacks a lot through um, the handmaid's eyes uh, to see like what life was like before and they're they're her memories that she's remembering in the diary she's recounting so they're very emotional um, memories she's pulling on to compare her situation to what it is now um, and it, it just shows us the uh, adaptability of humans um, kind of infinite adaptability to circumstance even when the adaptability is kind of negative, like getting used to worse circumstance um, and for, forgetting her previous, what she's forgotten about her pre, uh, previous life as much as what she remembers about it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and the uh, the characters here are extremely well done. I mean, it's just like a, a sort of an example of how well Atwood does this. Um, and and the, the thing that really hit home for me is um, even a lot of the minor characters who you just meet a little bit, they feel like real people incredibly quickly because the same way, you know, when you meet someone in the real world pretty quickly, you come to some judgments about them. And uh, our narrator does that as well. And, and Atwood is sort of putting us in her shoes really successfully. Um, and so they just, you know, there's just all these characters who feel so much like real people who are trying to exist in this world. Some of them are good, some of them are bad. Mostly they're just people. Um, but they all feel really unique. And, and it's a testament to her her writing ability. Yeah. And that the, you're getting these quick judgments about them, which are also like in reality, sometimes wrong. There's some, sometimes she's, yeah. the narrator's yeah. misjudging other characters. Um, and you're finding that out slowly, uh, which, which adds to the, the depth. Um, you, you thought there's one thing holding you back from a five though, pertaining to the plot. Uh, Okay, some exciting things are starting to happen at the end. Again, we'll talk more about this later, but it almost feels like this book ended like just before the climax in in many ways. And um, so I felt that a little unsatisfying. I really appreciate that it's not about someone like trying to be a hero, whatever. Not everything is like that. That's not what life is is really like in most cases. But it still felt like there was some really exciting stuff happening in this woman's life and we just like stopped the book before it happened. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was my one, my one gripe was sort of like the plot and the pacing. Yeah. It did not bother me whatsoever. Um, just a, a, from a, you know, from another perspective, I can see where you're coming from, but, um, I, I thought it was, uh, an ending that 
befit the book. Um, it, it was very true to the soul of the novel um, and felt satisfying to me. So, you know, tomato, tomato on that one. Um, For sure. Yeah, so a lot of themes. There's a lot of themes in this book. This book is definitely more on the, you know, the literature end. I know you and I first read it when we were in high school English together and yep. when we were like 17. So it's taught in a lot of classes. There's like, there's a lot to, to dig into. Um, one of the more interesting ones we think is, um, it really proves, uh, at least to me as a reader, um, how s- quickly society can fall apart. Um, and especially if, no one can trust each other in any sort of interaction if they always feel like they could be spied upon or told on um, to some sort of other authority. Um, yeah, yeah, it degrades everything really quickly. You can't trust any relationship because you feel like they might, you know, turn you in in exchange for making their lives a little bit better. You know, if you get into a society like that, it's not only do you, you know, hate the state, not trust the government, but you can't trust other people. Um, and that's a really tough thing that, that sort of like trust between strangers is what makes modern societies work. So, um, yeah, it's a really tough vibe. <laughs> yeah, it certainly is. Um, I, you know, another thing that popped out to me when I was rereading this, um, I feel like, uh, Handmaid's Tale, especially with the show out now, um, memes, et cetera, uh, how I remembered it and how it feels like, um, it's kind of culturally used sometimes is, is as an argument against religion, um, that there's this, this, uh, theocratic state and, um, and it's just used as to say like religion can lead to religious extremism. So, um, it's used as an argument against religion. And, uh, what, what interested me on this reread was the nuance of, um, her representing both ends of the like the religious and spiritual human scale and the the good and bad parts of each because uh, also the people who are most likely to um, rescue others in the novel and perform good deeds and have the courage to uh, stand up against the state or at least uh, com- commit subterfuge to try to help others who are controlled by the state um, are often uh, Quakers. And I believe there's a Jewish family as well. Like there are other, um, other like religious people are the only people who have convictions strong enough to step outside of protecting themselves and help others um, within this state as well. So it's an interesting representation of um, all ends of the human spiritual spectrum. It's not necessarily making an argument yeah, I mean, she certainly doesn't love theocracy, clearly. Um, but, yeah, but I think that, uh, yeah, I think theocracy... I, I agree with you, yeah. Theocracy being not about religion or spirituality, right? Her point her point being, like, to, to use it as a, a controlling force um, in a government is not the same as to believe. Right, yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure. Yeah, um, on a similar, in a similar vein, like painting things in gray, basically. <laughs> um, the uh, the fact that she, so she's showing, of course, a society here where where people have so what we would say is like no freedom, so little freedom. Um, and a lot of the way they frame this to the, you know, the, the agents of the state will sort of justify this as like, oh, think about how like safe and secure you are and like the bad things that used to happen. Like, oh, women used, used to get 
you know, used to get raped and like that doesn't happen anymore. So that means this must be better. Right. Um, and what's really interesting here though, is she's sort of showing that that's true, of course, in a state, like there's trade-offs that have to be made between sort of like freedoms and security. And often in times of like, when people don't feel secure, they sort of give up freedoms. It's hard to keep them, but, um, sort of individuals also do that. You know, the, 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 it's, it's this trade-off within all the characters in this book that they're trying to, to, to fight with. Yeah. That, that sliding scale between freedom and security. And sometimes they feel like they want more freedom. So they're down to rebel in small ways often, and sometimes, uh, more scared and just want security. And it's a changing, yeah, it's an ever-changing element of the characters as well as the state. Um, so the first 40% of the book is mostly set up, right? Yeah, it's I like mean, the world building, basically. You're all, she's a master of like show, don't tell. That would never really, with a couple maybe of exceptions, where, but in general, she's not ever telling you the way things work or how, you know, how things are. You're just sort of seeing the day-to-day -day life of the handmaid and figuring out what that what is going on? How does the society work? It seems pretty clear early on that it's not a good situation, right. but really figuring out what the rules are and even like what a handmaid is, like what is her job in this household where she's sort of like part of this retinue of people supporting this important commander, like what is her role in this household um, is bleak, but it's fun to find out. Um, so anyway, yeah. Yeah. And, and Atwood's, um, the way Atwood does it and brings you in, I, I think she does two things at once um, with one technique, which is really masterful. And she's constantly talking about um, the the look, the feel, um, the smell, the taste, like the, the sensory nature of things through the narrator's um, perspective. Um, what the narrator sees, all that she describes the materials of the house in great detail. So you're seeing not only where she's looking and that she can't look at anything she wants to. She's always looking yeah, down. Yeah, they make her blinders. Yeah, exactly. Like a horse. Um, yeah. <laughs> right. And, and um, so she's describing the detail of these materials and you're seeing not only where she's looking and that she's not allowed to be looking around and you're feeling like you're not allowed to either as the reader. Um but she's also described, Atwood's also using this to describe like the scarcity of resources in this society, among other things. Um, just an example. Um, and she uses, uh, say, smell a lot for uh, connection to memory, which is an, an obvious choice, um, but uh, pulls you in. And then she's using sound and smell as uh, an example of um, how senses can be uh, kind of secret, surreptitious. Like if, if you're not allowed to look at anything because the state can tell, you know, that the people can tell on you to the state for where you're looking and what you're speaking about, um, you can still hear things um, without looking and no one can, no one can know that you're hearing those things or you can still smell scents that people don't realize you're picking up on. Um, so she, she both describes the world in a really visceral way, but she also, um, makes you feel, makes the reader feel claustrophobic and, and trapped by the state like, um, like the narrator is. Uh, so yeah, just no doubt. Well done. Yeah. And similarly, the, the, um, with a lot of the flashbacks and you know, she's thinking about, uh, she has a, a partner in the past who she was, she was with and, um, uh, other people she cared about and, 
it's really interesting how her memories of those people are sort of like changing with time. Um, and it's a really, it's a very honest look at how like your circumstances change the way you feel, not only about your present, but also about your past and what things fade and what you remember. And it's just, uh, uh, I think it's very honest about the, you know, there's like, I think Atwood's maybe not a believer in like your one true love, your forever, whatever, like, uh, you know, she, uh, <laughs> I think Atwood's take is a lot more, um, pragmatic and uh, uh uh yeah there's a there's a great moment when the narrator remembers her husband who she's been separated from in gilead um and she describes how she can't remember his face at all but she can remember his clothing and that's just such a powerful moment um and 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 a way to show the reader that any human can forget a love and need to change because of circumstances, not just um, that it's not, it's not, you know, written in stone. There's no, there's no kind of holy romance, physical, natural law. Um, yeah. So Atwood was writing this book at an interesting time. So she was writing this book in 1984 when she was living in West Berlin. So it's interesting for two reasons. One, she's writing the book just after the Islamic Revolution when the theocracy in Iran came to power um, and sort of took away a lot of uh, uh, rights for people in that country, particularly women. So I think that was for sure you know, top of mind in the cultural zeitgeist. And then, of course, she's also living in West Berlin, like literally inside the Iron Curtain in like the little pocket of the West there. Um, so very close to and in a moment of thinking about totalitarian regimes. And, um, you know, I think that's maybe part of why this book feels so good. She was like thinking about it a lot and putting herself in a place that she really could try to think and feel what that might be like. Yeah, I think particularly the the idea that you can't be honest or trust anybody comes through. And that that seems like it must be from that era um, and experience. Uh, she also, we're just dropping this in because we found it an interesting quote. Um, uh, but she said, Atwood has said um, that she is scared to write something uh, science fiction, dystopian, whatever, spec fiction, whatever you want to call it, um, because she tended to find a lack of plausibility in those stories. Um, so she, quote, wanted to avoid the pitfalls such as tendency to sermonize allegory and lack of plausibility that you find a lot in speculative fiction. And she said, if I was to write an imaginary garden, I wanted the toads in it to be real and wildly successful at that. I just love that little quote. I mean, maybe that's that's something to live by for a lot of speculative fiction authors. Yeah. Um, um, while you were reading about her, you also found something really funny as you were uh, Googling, right? Yeah, the... I think, well, okay, so a little bit of context. I think we're going to try to do this every week, at least if it's if it's something nice, uh, because every time I Google, like, the book and the page count to do the beginning of the summary for the episode, there's always the people also ask section of Google, and there's always something funny on there. Like, for Dark Matter, it was, uh, like... Is, is Dark Matter a good book for beginners? Um, which is just a funny question to, to ask of like reading in general. It's just a funny phrasing. Obviously, they meant like a good place to get into sci, uh, sci-fi, which we think it is. But um, this one for Handmaid's Tale, Google, people also ask, is Handmaid's Tale steamy? Um, which, <laughs> first of all, steamy hilarious euphemism uh second of all uh hopefully not 
Hopefully you're not finding yeah, it steamy. Could not be less steamy. Uh, if you do think it's steamy, you know, I don't know. I don't even know what that says about your sexual preferences. There's, you know, I guess, you know, whatever, whatever your kink is, that's fine. But this is like not, this is something, this is it's not on the list of approved <laughs> <No>. kinks. Yeah. <laughs> Should we do some more books to recommend? Uh, yes. Um, well, first of all, I, I guess I, while I was on it, I just wanted to say something quick about the TV show because oh, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. huge, Please. big TV, big show. Um, I've watched uh, most of it. You know, I'm almost current. I think it's pretty good. I think def the first season basically just follows the book exactly. Second season's still good. I forget where, but at some point it kind of stays past its welcome as far as I'm concerned. Um, just, you know, you're kind of past the the big emotions and they're clearly just pushing for more content. Um, but if you like serious drama that looks really, really good, um, then you also like the show and season one of the show, like it says, basically just the book. Um, the only difference being you kind of remove the nuance. I think what's interesting about the novel is that it's a, a story of survival and how a person can um, sacrifice their ideals for survival. Whereas the show, because it's television, it makes sense, is more about um, June, the handmaid, being uh, being a rebel, taking down the, taking down the whole of Gilead. So- Anyways, we're checking out um, similar books. Brent, why don't you start us up? Uh, sure. We, I mean, this is like one of the best dystopian novels of all time. If you like this, you'll probably like the other very good dystopian novels. So uh, we'd be totally crazy if we didn't recommend them. Um, start with 1984 by George Orwell. Uh, it's the most read dystopian and also sci-fi book of all time for good reason. It's unbelievably so good. Uh, timeless, gripping, cautionary tale about the power of totalitarianism, how that affects you and and how powerless you are when like all the organs of the state are about maintaining the power of the state. It's just brutal. Uh, anyway, such a good book. You should read it if you haven't already somehow. Yeah, <laughs> it, uh, like Handmaid's Tale almost. Um, <laughs> and uh, another one is The Testaments, which is the sequel to The Handmaid's Tale, which came out in 2019. So 34 years later, Yet um, it feels very much the same as Handmaid's Tale uh, in terms of just aura of its overall feel. Um, and uh, it's just as compelling as Handmaid's Tale. It's told from three narrators' perspectives. Um, and I won't spoil too much about that, but uh, it's a kind of a satisfying, more satisfying conclusion to the Gilead saga. Um, so definitely worth a read. I really loved it. I just read it for the first time. Nice. Um, next we'll do, uh, Brave New World by Aldous Huxley. I feel like 1984, Brave New World and Handmaid's Tale are often like the three that get most talked about. And again, that's for a good reason. Um, Brave New World's interesting take is that the way the power is maintained is that like the masses are basically like just allowed to and given what they need to fulfill like all their hedonistic desires. And so then they just like kind of keep quiet about the power structure, um, which is, you know, a pretty interesting idea and uh, certainly a way it could go. Um, so yeah, anyway, that's a, another really, really great example in this, in this genre. Yeah. If it were going to go, that could be a way. Certainly it seems plausible. <laughs> You're right. Um, and then our last recommendation is Never Let Me Go by Katsuo Ishiguro, um, which is just, a, you know, like all of his 
books, an emotionally devastating uh, story about um, essentially focusing in on the servant class of a world with one small thing, one small kind of speculative fiction idea interposed on it. Um, and it just goes, it, it just kind of wanders through the overarching mystery um, and makes a larger point about uh, the cruelty um that is required to progress society or that, that can be not is required, but that often happens. Yeah. Yeah. That often happens. Um, Um, all right. So those are our four wrecks. That's handmaid's tale. Pre spoilers, handmaid's tale. Post spoilers starts in three, two, one, Brent. Okay. If you're sticking around, here's the deal. Here's how it goes. Okay. So first we should say like what, a handmaid is and what her job is sort of like the, the what you're exploring in the first half of the we book. assume you all um, know this anyways we couldn't decide whether it was a spoiler or not but we decided <laughs> we'd, we'd be you know buy the book on it but <laughs> yes for sure so okay so she is basically um uh, fertility is is gone way down in this world for various reasons that we don't need to get into and so in order for to try to help like these powerful men have children they like capture young fertile women and force them to have to live in the households of these powerful commanders and like have sex with them in this bizarre ceremony where like the wife is participating the the commander's wife is participating like once a month um so yeah that's what that is uh anyway so um the commander uh, starts inviting the the handmaid into his office. And it turns out he's inviting her there not for like weird kinky sex stuff, which also would not be allowed, but to play Scrabble, which is really not allowed because she's not allowed to read. Um, but he just kind of wants someone to talk with who can have a real conversation with. Um, so it's a really interesting sort of like view inside his psyche. He's one of the people responsible for this state, but is still trying to like subvert the rules. She also meets um, another handmaid who per, you know says she's part of a network of people who are like resistant to the state. And then uh, finally, the last like push for action in this book is um, the commander's wife, who hates her and hates clearly this whole situation of this woman who's having sex with her husband. Uh, but she actually does want a baby. And so she approaches the handmaid and says, hey, maybe my husband isn't fertile. Uh, I want you to have sex with his driver, this guy, Nick. Um, so she does. And then she decides she likes this guy, Nick, but also she just like likes doing something that's not allowed. So she keeps having sex with him and sort of building a relationship. Um, and then at the end of the book, the secret police show up and it's unclear if she's really been caught or if these are actually agents of the Mayday, you know, the underground. Yeah. Mayday, um, who are going to help her escape. Um, and that's kind of where it ends. Um, and then there's an epilogue, uh, where, which is set, like 150 years in the future, it's in an academic conference where they are saying, hey, they've found these audio tapes that were recorded and it's supposed to be what we just read. Um, and they sort of were talking about what that implies uh, and and talking about the history of Gilead. So anyway, that's the book. It is. Um, and, and it, you know, it's, it's interesting to strip down a literary work like this into plot hits because it's about so much more you know there's more scenes obviously we left out but that it's just about being there it's not about like 
who does what and where they go and who they beat and stuff. <laughs> um, so it's just, it's a funny to hear it distilled that way. Um, yeah. but such is, um, and, and the epilogue is one of the most interesting parts of it. Cause I hadn't remembered that until I reread, um, and, and the way they're framing the story as we found these cassette tapes by this unnamed woman who was apparently handmade and they're her diary and we're at this academic conference way in the future after Gilead is gone, discussing if it's, you know, if this is a reliable transcript, can we connect this to other historical sources? Um, yeah, they spend and, a bunch of time like trying to figure out who the commander or, you know, who the handmaid might be or who the commander might have been or these historical people, we can figure out who they are. Right. Um, and, and I think one thing that it, one thing that it does is, is help connect us to the feeling that um, a state like this can really happen to any society at any time. It can, it can be a quick switch that's flipped and um, suddenly you're, you're living under some sort of uh, thing like this. It, it can happen to anybody. And it shows that on the back end, like, oh yeah, this, that weird thing that happened in the past, um, that's over now, obviously. Um, so it's just a nice like uh, frame for, uh, I guess, larger scope for the ebb and flow of human societies and governments. Yeah. It, yeah, it certainly, yeah, it could happen if people don't resist. Yeah. The way that Gilead came to power is they assassinated the president and all of Congress basically, and then just sort of said that they were in charge and, and like the people on mass didn't resist. Um, and, uh, it was interesting to me that like, I mean, that's how you make the book work and that's part of what's a cautionary tale, but, um, I don't know how kindly Americans would take to the fact that someone had assassinated the president and all of Congress and said they were in charge now. Um, hopefully we would not be appreciative of that and would not let them take control of the government. <laughs> but anyway, that's part of the point of the book. Don't let them like come for the, what's the famous quote from the Holocaust? First they came for the, you know, first they came for the Jews and they came for so-and-so. Anyway, eventually they come for everybody. Correct. So like when bad yeah. stuff starts to happen, say something, even if you're not currently getting hurt. Yeah. You need to stand up for, for others. Um, and I, I guess I felt like it was more realistic because it does hinge upon the the birth rate thing, right? There's this there's this moralistic like uh, the Gilead leadership has a solution to the birth crisis issue, which I think is kind of their shield against um, being asked questions about why they just took over Congress and the presidency um, by force, like took it by coup. And I think that does make it feel more realistic that as long as you have some sort of scapegoat uh, idea to recontextualize your coup, you might get away with it more easily. Yeah. Yeah. There was something really interesting with the, um, in sort of like the scholars unpacking things, which is that they're saying they think maybe the commander got purged in the near future. And, and you were pointing out something really interesting about sort of the generational nature of, of totalitarian regimes like this? Yeah, I think, I guess, I guess just the general um, insinuation uh, of that type of authoritarian rule, of, of ruling based on um, a religious belief here, but any sort of reason or context for why I need the power and will, you know, because we need to be doing X, um, as a society to be good. And if that first generation is just using that as an excuse to have power, but the second generation, if they're really indoctrinated with those ideas will come into power and then realize the first generation is not, uh, acting 
under those those laws that are so ingrained in in them as the second generation and they'll purge out the first generation and then that um that ruling class becomes is ruling based on kind of you know false truths that they've learned so you know eventually human nature takes over and, and they fail as well um but that's totally common theme of dystopian lit and that's why i think still probably you know to step to the side a little bit here 1984 is maybe still the 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 one that just never will shake out of my head because that you know obviously the entire point is you can't ha- you can't maintain power unless all you care about is maintaining power um and then it's really easy to maintain power <laughs> so that's a yeah, frightening so scary yeah i'm excited to talk about 1984 at some point here in the near future but yeah um Okay, well, I think the last thing we should talk about is sort of circle back now that we've done the post-spoilers and talk about sort of like this ending idea. Yes, Um, yes. So let me put a little finer point on what I was talking about earlier. So basically, like, at the end of the book, you get this tease like, oh my God, is she going to get arrested and executed or is she about to like escape and get to Canada and, and be out of this society? And then the book just ends we get this epilogue where they say they found the tapes at like a cabin in Northern Maine. So we know she actually, those were not executioners. They probably were from the underground railroad. We know she got at least as far as there, but we still don't know if she got out. And it just felt weird to me to like have all that, which like sort of seems like the most exciting part of the novel. It's like the climax of her personal story Um, to have that happen like off screen slash like we don't even know really what happened. So anyway, that was my, that was my gripe um, with, with the end. Yeah, which and and like I said earlier, I think that just ends up being kind of a personal preferencing, right? I think for me, I I totally get where you're coming from, but also I thought that that kind of mysterious ending really fit the the rest of the novel. You don't really know what's going on in the world if she if she suddenly shows you um, one or the other thing happening. You're seeing a lot more than you have before, and you're going too far out of the. Um, perspective of the narrator um and it just i don't know it just felt like a fit it worked for me also yeah. i read the testaments and it wraps everything up nicely so maybe i feel differently now that i know you know a that i have for the sequel i'll yeah. have to read it too I, you're you make it sound really really good so i'm uh i didn't even know there was a sequel until you told me honestly so anyway, i didn't know there was a sequel until i we started i re-listened for this episode and i was like wait that's it. It's like an actual sequel. Super good for, I mean, now that we're doing spoilers, one of the three narrators is Aunt Lydia, um, who's the head of the, you know, the handmaid's school. Oh, who's like training her in her servitude and sexual slavery. Yeah. Um, and uh, she's got a really interesting arc in the book. And then it's a, and then there's a girl in, in, uh, who's growing up in Gilead and, um, a girl who's growing up in Canada, who's kind of a refugee. It's, I thought I was I was surprised. Uh, Thirty four years later, and the sequel feels the same and is satisfying and good. I thought it was wonderful. Yeah, that's a rare thing. Well, um, cool. Well, this was a really totally fun is. one. I'm so glad we got to do this. I'm excited about our our dystopian year ahead of us here. And uh, yeah, I can't wait to see everybody in two weeks for Andromeda Strain. Yeah, um, and uh, to clarify, talking about dystopian lit this year let's not have a dystopian year no no, as a no. People. we're good on those <laughs> we're, yeah. we're fine <laughs> up to here <laughs> on dystopian um so yeah and i could talk about this book uh forever so come hit us up on the discord if you have more thoughts about handmaid's tale book show testaments the sequel whatever we even have a, a little um uh 
thread we started separately that is spoiler um the opposite of spoiler free has spoilers so we can talk about books that we've read um so thank you thanks for joining keep reading later y'all